everybody. Hi. I'm so excited to be here to talk to you today. I get to share with you on the book of Hosea. And um, when the list went up for the possible books, I jumped at the chance to, to speak on Hosea because I've always been super um, interested in the whole relationship between Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And so we're going to talk about that today. But I didn't really pay attention to the date. And um, today happens to be Darren and my 27th wedding anniversary. And um, so my husband rudely came down with a bug last night. So I just wanted to pay him some credence. I love you, honey. Just pretend that he's here. And I don't, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to say when that was taken. Um, and nobody look, but for the first time in I don't even know how long, all four of my boys plus one are here, but don't look because it's not a big deal. Play it super cool. We're not going to like actually, I'm not even going to look at them at all. So that's all I'm going to say about that. So, um, you know, taking a look at Hosea, you know, made me start to think, and of course this being our, my wedding anniversary, our, Darren will be so mad at me if I said my wedding anniversary, our wedding anniversary, it started to make me think about you know, when we were first married. And I have this great story to share with you about when we were first married. And about a couple of days after we got married, we actually moved to Abbotsford. Um, like literally within like three days, we ha I had left everything and we moved out there to start our new life. And it was just wonderful. You know, everything was so exciting. And it was like honeymoon bliss. And I, I didn't have a job yet, so I was at home. And it was at the time when like even making dinner was, I'm just making dinner for my husband. And you keep saying the word husband because it's new and it's wonderful. And, you know, and I was just enjoying the domestic bliss of it all. And, and I can remember, um, you know, one day I was like, I'm going to do our first load of joint laundry. I'm not even kidding you. I was ex even excited about that. Like, I mean, just goes to show you, right? So I'm going to go and I'm going to do this laundry for him while he's at work and lovingly fold this laundry and put it in the basket. And then I'm going to leave it on the edge of our bed because what I'm hoping for is when he comes home, he's going to look at this laundry that I've lovingly folded and he's going to look back at me and just be like, oh, I just love what amazing wife that I've married. And uh, so I can remember this so clearly because this led to our first fight. So I um, he comes home from work and I'm in the kitchen making that loving dinner that I was making for my husband and comes in and I like peek, right? Like I peek over to the room and I'm like catching him. Does he see the laundry? And I see him take that basket of laundry and dump it onto the bed and start shaking out the laundry that I so lovingly folded all over the bed. And I was like, <gasps> like absolutely, absolutely devastated, like cut to the core, hurt, like, like how could you do this to me? And the brand bliss bubble burst at that moment. <laughs> and I saw red, but in high, you know, we didn't get divorced. You'll be happy to know. And, um, you know, we were able to talk it through and, and figure out, you know, what was going on. And I should have known because I married a man who had worked in clothing retail for years. So he folded like a ninja, right? Like, like a ninja. And like everything was like perfectly aligned. And my folding skills was like folded in half, rub it, you know, pull in a ball and like throw it in the basket. So anyway, we worked it out. But my point is that for some reason, this hurt. And like, why? Did it hurt? It's just laundry. Why did it hurt? And it's because I gave my heart to this man. 
I gave my heart to this man. So all of a sudden, his opinion of me mattered more than anything, right? Like what he thought of me, what his, his, the way he looked at me, and all of a sudden he had the power in his words to lift me up to high heights, to tell me that I look beautiful, and I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. And in a moment, with a look, with a glance, with a harsh word, he could tear me down. And this was the, because I chose to love him. I chose him. He was the one I wanted. He was the man, right? I loved him wholeheartedly. And this, there is something in this context of marriage that God has for us to see. It, he chooses to use it in the book of Hosea for us to see a side of his love that I don't think you can see as clearly anywhere else. It is, it is so apparent. And we're going to get there. We're going to get there. But the one thing that I realized, too, is that when we're t- when my, in my Christian career, you know, and all the sermons that I've heard, I think it's fairly easy or it comes more naturally to me to think of God as father, right? Father, daughter, father, son. You know, I worked through my daddy issues pretty young, so I felt like I had a healthy context that I could relate to him as father, right? And also, on the flip side, he's our king, and I'm his servant, king of kings and lord of lords. I get that. I get that. It's easier. But to see God as husband, as spouse, it's harder to compute. It's harder, it's harder to kind of grasp what that means. It's like, you know what? I, I got a husband. I'm good. King, king, we're going with king, right? One is enough. Like, we are, we are good. So, it's, and for you gentlemen, like that's even, it's even a harder to, to broach that, like when, when, when Jesus talks about us being the bride, right? So it's, it's a hard thing to kind of get your head around. I'm hoping I can shed some light on it today. Uh, we're going to do, you know, a, a, his, a history of, of Hosea. We're going to do a bit of a history lesson, but then we're going to really dive into to what he's talking about. So I'm excited to go there with you. So first, hang on to your hats. I'm going to give you an overview of the book of Hosea. And I need someone, so Taylor, you're, I start to talk really fast when I get excited. I need you to do this, like yank on your ear or do this. If, I, if you guys are like, whoa, slow down, okay? So you, you're my girl, all right. So the last couple of weeks we've had Ryan do a phenomenal job on the book of Ezekiel, Justin, phenomenal job on the book of Daniel. But in terms of context, these, uh, those books took place about 180 to 200 years after Hosea, after, okay? And so Hosea actually is the first of a book of 12 books that you're going to find at the end of the Old Testament. And I'm going to give you a heads up. You will be turning there. If you have a hard time figuring out where it is, turn there now, Hosea. I'll give you some time to figure out where it is. But um, it's the uh, first of 12 books, and they call these books the minor prophets, right? And they call them minor not because they're like B-list prophets, right? So as opposed to the A-list prophets like Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. It's they're minor basically because they're short, kind of like me, you know, pack a punch, right? Um, so that's, those are the minor prophets. So the book of Hosea takes place in the middle of the 8th century. So it's about 755 to 710 BC. That's when these guys take place. And this is a time when Israel, the nation of Israel, was split into two kingdoms, Okay? We still have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, and we have the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. So that, and Hosea primarily spoke, he's one of the few prophets, actually, that spoke primarily to the northern kingdom. He was from there, and that's where, who he was speaking to at this time. 
All right, so I'm going to give you Lucy's concise version of how the state of the northern, of northern, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel was doing by taking a look at their kings. So it's, it's history. I'll try to make it as short as I can, and we'll get to the good stuff. So during the 25 years, approximately, there's a 25-year span that Hosea was, was really preaching, going for it, like telling the northern kingdom what's up, right? It's about 25 years. In that 25-year span... There was six kings, six. We have just said goodbye to our monarch who reigned for 70 years. Six kings in about 25 years. And I'm going to have some audience participation because this is what we're going to do, so pay attention. We start with King Jeroboam II. He was, his son has succeeded him. So the first son was King Zechariah, okay? King Zechariah lasted about six months. He was murdered. He was murdered by Shalem. Shalem lasted a whopping one month. And I'll give you two guesses what happened to him. Guess? Murdered. Right. (laughs) After him was King Menahem. Menahem reigned. He lasted a bit longer. lasted for 10 years. And the reason he lasted for 10 years is because he was bribing the superpower at the time. The superpower at the time was Assyria. Constant threat. They're going to take over. And eventually... They do destroy the northern kingdom. But Menahem lasted. His son actually succeeded him. His son, get this name right, is King Pekahiah. King Pekahiah reigned for two years. Guess what happened to him? Murder. Oh, my goodness. There's nowhere else that church is going to tell you to yell murder in the middle of the service. But here, but, okay. King Pekahiah was murdered by King Pekah because they did not have creativity with their names at all. He reigned the longest but was also murdered. Then we have King Hosea not to be confused with the prophet Hosea. King Hosea was not murdered, but ended up going into captivity when the fall of the northern kingdom came. Okay? Murder, mayhem, bribery, corruption, that is what is happening in the northern kingdom right now. And Hosea 7-7 wraps it up by saying this. They devour their rulers, all their kings fall, and none of them calls on me. And when I was studying about these kings, they're all listed in the book of 2 Kings, about chapter 15. When I'm studying these kings, I noticed something interesting, a little obscure. And if you know anything about me, I'm always about trying to figure out whatever they mean. So 2 Kings chapter 15, it lists all these kings. It lists the reign, lists if they did anything significant. Um, and after each one, it said, some, it said this, they did evil in the sight of God. They did not turn away from the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. I'm like, well, that's weird. But the Bible says lots of interesting things. Set it for the next king. Set it for the next king. Set it for the next king. Did evil in the sight of God, did not turn away from the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So I'm like, well, who was this Jeroboam dude, and what did he do to be like the benchmark for sin for all of these guys, right? So travel back, travel with me, about 150 years before, to the first Jeroboam. The first Jeroboam actually was the very first king of the northern kingdom. And he did not get elected. He did not get appointed. He did really nothing. God plucked him, picked him, and made him the king of that nation and basically promised him. I'm going to tell you what he promised him. He said God chose him. He promised him a kingdom and a dynasty that would endure like David's, the greatest king. So it's a huge promise. He said, I'm going to give you this land to reign over, and all you have to do, Jeroboam, All you have to do is obey my decrees and commands like David did, which is with his whole heart. 
right? David was flawed, we know that, but he loved the Lord and he followed his decrees and commands with his whole heart. Did Jeroboam do that? No, he did not. Instead, he led the entire nation, not just himself in his own heart, he led the entire nation away from God. He set up idols. He literally set up two separate temples. He put cows in these temples, and he told the people, look, here is your God. He saved you out of Egypt. Come worship here, okay? And in it, to sum it up, in 1 Kings 14.9, God says to him, you have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and thrust me behind your back. In other words, you have given your heart away to other gods and led my people away from me, and you have forgotten me. The word used here when he says, you've thrust me behind your back, is actually the same word that God uses when he forgives our sins and he puts them behind him. He does not see them anymore. They are gone to him. It's that same word. So literally, they had just left God behind. Like they, he, he wasn't seen anymore. They have forgotten him. And I refer back to that verse that says, none of them call on me, none of them call on me. So then we're going to fast forward about another 150 years, back to the time of Hosea. Nothing much has changed, guys. And we see that, uh, you know, the book of Hosea is divided into two. The first three chapters talks about his marriage. We're going to look at that at the end. But uh, chapters 4 to 14 goes through this cycle of of God basically pleading with them, warning them, saying, this is what you are doing, this anguish you can hear in his words. He's pleading with them, turn to me, because there is consequences for your sin, right? Turn to me. And they refuse to listen, they refuse to heed. And then he says, this is what's going to happen to you. Basically, Assyria is coming, you will be scattered, you will lose it all. But then there's always this hope and this promise. And he cycles through this five times in Hosea, this pleas and warnings, this is what's going to happen, and then I'm going to restore you. And it, and it does that about five times. And this is just to sum it up. Where did Israel go wrong? I'll sum it up in some of the verses, and then I'm going to get you to turn to Hosea 6 in a minute. There's your, your heads up. So here we go. Hosea 4.1 says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. And I want you to remember that word acknowledgement. We're going to look at that in a minute. Verse 12 says, A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. And chapter 5, verse 4 says, A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. And then in Hosea 6, that was your um, hint to turn to Hosea 6. Uh, we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 3. It sounds like the people actually get it. It sounds like they're like, oh, okay, okay, we hear you. We're going to change. And it has this amazing uh, verses 1 to 3. Let's read them together. It says this. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. And he will come to us like winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. And it sounds so wonderful and hopeful. And then the very next verse, God's response is this. 
What can I do with you, Ephraim, Israel? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. I want to put this in a context of marriage for you. This would be like being married to a chronic cheater. I I need you to understand this from God's perspective because this is how he's viewing it, okay? They said that they were sorry, but they carried on cheating anyway, right? It's like being in a very one-sided relationship where you fiercely love this person and they just don't give you the time of day. They forget to talk to you. They ignore you, right? They take full advantage of you. They don't share, they don't, they don't share their life with you. They don't share their hearts with you. And they don't acknowledge all that you may have sacrificed for this relationship. They just, it doesn't even enter their minds. Oh, and then they up and leave you. You know, well, there's that. And I, and I just, for just a brief moment, I don't want to say too much about this, but I, I speak tenderly and gently around the whole theme of betrayal in a marriage because it is probably one of the most painful things to experience in a relationship here on this earth, right? And some of you may have experienced it. Some of you may have no friends that have, but it's, it's usually touched us somewhere, somehow. And there's anguish and there's anger and it's, it's, it's excruciating to walk with someone through it or to go through it yourself. Like there's just nothing I can compare it to. And if you read through Hosea, that is the language that he's using. He's using this language. And the truth of the matter is that this God up there, no matter what you believe, whether you see him as father, king, this God up there feels and he feels deeply deeply and it is all through the pages of Hosea all through these pages you see the people had given their hearts away and they betrayed their God and some of them have been going through the motions they've been doing the sacrifices he even talks about that you, you give me sacrifices but their hearts were not in it right their hearts were not in it and some of the people were outrightly worshiping idols like full-on you know, they're, they're worshiping the idols, they're giving sacrifices to the idols, they're sleeping with temple prostitutes, they're doing the whole thing. And although Hosea warned them of the punishment that was coming, they didn't listen. And if they did listen, it wasn't genuine, lasting change. In Hosea 6.6, 6, it, it sort of culminates here because he says this, he says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And I, here I want to just point out that word, acknowledgement. I think in our English context, in the way that I've used the word acknowledgement, it's sort of like getting a thanks, you know? I acknowledge you. It's sort of, it, it doesn't carry the depth of what it means here in, in this context. And it, it's more about knowing God. And there are three levels of knowing someone. There's the basic level. Basic level of knowing someone is that you know of them. You know them by reputation. You acknowledge they exist. That is your basic level. Second level is more like a casual acquaintance. If you see them, you can have a conversation with them, right? You can talk to them, you can chat, but there is no depth to that relationship. It's it's an acquaintance. But the third level, the third level is when you become privy to that person's deepest emotions. You become privy to their joy. Their joys become your joys. Their sorrows become your sorrows. 
It's an intimate knowing where your hearts are entwined. And that is what God wanted with his people. That is what he wants with us. That's what he's talking about. He didn't want just passing sacrifices. He didn't, he's not interested in that. He's interested in this, in this hearts being entwined. He wanted his people to love them with their whole heart. So this brings me to my favorite part of the book, Hosea 1. 1 to 3, where Hosea talks about his marriage, or Hosea's marriage to Gomer, and where God uses this personal life illustration. And basically, God says to Hosea, unless you marry an adulterous woman, you will not understand how I love my people. Basically what he says, you will not understand. And so he says to Hosea, if you can turn with me, Hosea 1, we're going to read uh, verses 2 and 3. He says, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. She actually ends up bearing him three children, and God tells him what to name these children. The first son is named Jezreel, which means God scatters. The daughter that comes next is named Lo-Ruama, which means not loved. And the son, his name was Lo-Ami, which means not my people. I mean poor kids, right? Like, like, I, can't, like I can't even. Like you're just... <laughs> can you imagine every time Hosea was like, Lo-Ami, I'm not loved. <laughs> just, right? Like devastating, right? Like every time he said their names, he would be reminded. He would be reminded not only of what's coming, but of this pain, this, this anguish, this anger, all of it in his children's lives right in front of him. This is how he's living this out. But in verses 14 to 16, God speaks about, I think this is, cha- yeah, chapter 2, sorry, chapter 2, we're in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. You can follow along with me. God says this, and he's speaking, he's speaking about what's going to happen after the consequences of sin have played out. And he, and he says this, verses 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her, and I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Some translation says, speak tenderly to her heart. And there I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of Egypt. And verse 16 says, In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master. Verse 19 says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge or know the Lord. Verse 23 says, I will plant her for myself in the land, and I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. And I love this because in verse 14, it doesn't say that he forced her or he dragged her into the wilderness, which is really what she deserved. It's like a wayward son who does not listen. I'm not, of course, pointing to any of my children here. So where you just want to grab them and you want to just say, listen, right? He doesn't do that because he knows that's not going to work here, right? He allures her. And... Spurgeon, who's this great theologian, made a really amazing note about this. He said, It is a very remarkable word 
and it teaches us that the allurement of love surpasses in power all other forces. Because the enemy loves to allure us, right? The enemy does the same thing. He wants to allure us with all kinds of entitlements and and quick pleasure and easy money and instant knowledge and false security. But God determines that he will outbid the devil. And he will win us to himself with a love which will be stronger than any force of resistance we have to offer. And it's a love like no other. By the way, that's the title. A love like no other. I'm a little late. A love like no other. Right? And in verse 15, when he speaks about how the valley of Achor will become a door of hope, that word Achor means trouble. Right? And... There will be valleys of trouble. There are valleys of trouble. There are times of justice, and there are seasons where we have to live out the consequences of our actions. That is, that is how it works. But he brings hope. I think that's the most amazing bit here. He brings hope. And not only that, I love the fact that he used the word door of hope, because to me, it's a way out. He leads us out of the valley himself. He opens the door, right? He leads us to himself. So hopefully by now you are picking up on the theme that our relationship with God is like a marriage, but it's also like a bad marriage with a happy ending, okay? Uh, Which takes us to Hosea chapter 3. So I'm going to have you guys turn there with me, and I'm going to read... We're going to read verses uh, 1 to 3, so here we go. The Lord said to me, Go... Show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. Now, we don't have a lot of details here about Gomer. But we know she'd left Hosea, and she was an adulteress. She became a prostitute. She'd likely fallen into debt. She was about to be auctioned off, so she had fallen about as low as you could possibly fall. People would have scorned her, looked down on her, seen her as absolutely worthless, discarded. Discarded. Her only value was in that of being a slave. And in the ancient Middle East, they would have been stripped. So if you can picture Gomer on the auction block, naked, exposed, her shame literally exposed to whoever was looking to buy her. And then she would have heard the voice of her husband bidding for her. And I don't know, I've, this has wrecked me every time I've been thinking about it, because I don't know if I was up on that auction block, if I would have the bravery to open my eyes and look at him or if I would have closed my eyes in shame at that moment. But Hosea claimed her back. He paid the price and brought her home. And now the average price for a slave at this time was 30 shekels. And it says that he paid 15 shekels and a lethic and a homer of barley, which basically is 430 pounds of barley. And a lot of the scholars say he probably didn't have the money. And so he gave everything he had to buy her back. This woman who betrayed him over and over again, 
And this is where Hosea's love shone the brightest. There's a, a commentator by the name of James Montgomery Boyce that says this. He goes, does God love like that? Yes, he loves like that. God steps into the marketplace of sin and he buys us out of sin's bondage by the death of Christ. And here's the most amazing thing. Hosea's name means salvation, right? And he is God's illustration of this radical love. And he points to our Savior, right? He points to Jesus Christ. And this was 750 years before Jesus even set his feet on this earth. Here it is. Here's the picture of my Savior. Here's the picture of what I'm going to do for you. And here's the kicker. Guess what Gomer's name means? I don't want you to guess. I'm going to tell you. Gomer's name in Hebrew means complete or perfect. I just, want you to, I just want you to think about that for a minute. This wreck of a woman, her name means complete or perfect. And the truth is about this whole thing is that I am Gomer, right? You are Gomer. We are Gomer on that auction block, right? How can this holy God see us as perfect? How can he look on me? How can he look on me and see me as perfect? And it's because of Jesus, <laughs> right? It's because he paid the price on the cross that he can look past. He puts our sins behind. And he'll look at us on that auction block and gladly pay that price. What can we take away from this, guys? So maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years or three months or three days. But my question for you is, who has your heart? Is there anyone that takes the place, anyone or anything that takes the place of God in your life? Because if they do, they are your lovers. Now, you can't preach on this without doing some serious soul searching. So, like, I have been in this book for like a month and a half, and by, I'm going to be very happy when it's done. <laughs> So I've been living and breathing it, and I'm just like, I have been looking at the idols in my life. You can't help but do that when you read this. You can't help but do it, and I tell you that the biggest thing, I don't have cows in my house. I'm not bowing down to them in my backyard, letting sacrifices off on my barbecue. Like, it's just, I don't do that. None of us really do that, right? So this idol thing is heard again. We're like, we're not like them. We're not like them. We don't do that. But the idols are anything, anything that takes your heart from him. And for me, it's self-reliance, man. Ugh. And I fall into the arms of fear more times than I care to admit. These idols can also be good things. They could be good things in our lives, not necessarily bad things, right? But really, it could be, it's anything that can turn into your everything. I can put it that way. It's anything that can turn into your everything. That could be your kids. That could be your work. could be your relationship that you're in. I could go on, but I'd like you to look to the one who has your heart, the one whose love is like no other, and ask him, because he will show you what. If there's anything that keeps you from him, he will. He's faithful to do that. And uh, he, my prayer for all of you is that this radical love, this 
this it's the songs today were so perfect i love the way that god lines that up for us it's like literally i'm like sitting there trying to hold myself together going okay <laughs> this radical love like i want everyone here to know what it is and if you do not know what i'm talking about if honestly you've never experienced this love this radical love that would take a broken wreck of a person and see them as perfect because he paid the price if you want to know what that is please please come and talk to us please come and talk to me I'd be happy to pray for you because it's it is it's it's a love that will allure us from all that the world has to offer it will always be empty it will never leave you satisfied never so i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to close in prayer guys i i'm that's really hosea in a nutshell and you can see how this this book is is um it's affected me deeply like it really has because now i can look i can think about god in a different way i can think about him as my love you know like that the love that i i won't say i used to have i have for darren but you know what i mean like that swooning kind of <laughs> radical love 27 years like i'm just saying but it's it's radical it is unlike anything it will it's unlike any force that there is here it, it is it's incredible so let me pray with you guys okay God, thank you for the book of Hosea. Thank you for all that you teach us here. But more than anything, Holy Spirit, I really pray that there would be a seed planted in every person here tonight, that there would be this hunger and this desire to know this radical love, that we would understand what it is to stand on that auction block and to know that you have paid the price, that you look upon us and you see us as perfect because of what Jesus did. There, it is a love like no other, God. It is a love like no other. We are so grateful. We are thankful. We give you praise tonight. I pray that you would do a work in every person's heart here. That this message would go home and stay with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>